But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> uh, everybody knows, everybody knows that uh, UCAP is the place of innovation. This is a future looking, I mean, we have our finger on the pulse of aviation technology and futurism and and this is it this is i have seen the future this is you, just going to change everything okay you ready you spent you spent some time writing this intro didn't ready you? are you ready circular runways oh, it's just genius have you seen this it's just i mean think about it you can go any way you want and it's around what, and what what could go wrong <laughs> <laughs> I know, really. I was, so I sent you this video. Did you see the the video is a YouTube of uh, screen capture of uh, of uh, somebody actually landing on a circular runway in a flight sim program. Um, and uh, I don't know how many times they had to try it, but they did it in the flight sim, and they made it look pretty. You know, I'm watching this this video in the flight sim, and I'm going, "Well, that doesn't look so crazy. It sort of works." Well, I'm, I'm I'm watching this. Uh, this is the first time I've seen this, so um, so. Anybody I'm just not, trying to yeah. trying to figure out how he's going to get the crab out. <laughs> well, the, you don't have to. Well, that because the, the is, runways the runways canted. Yeah, so the runways banked. It sort of looks like a big. So this is like this is like turn. This is like continuous turn forward. Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Exactly. All right. Except it's not an oval. It's a pure circle, and it's banked. Um, and uh, you come down and you basically land. You basically make a bad landing every single time. All right, that's the, the plan is to make a bad landing every single time. And uh, and and the, and the theory is that you just come in in a bank and you're constantly in a turn, and you just come down and land on this 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 sloped uh, banked runway. Um, I don't know. Like you said, because, be, because the way we've been doing it for more than a hundred years is bad. Well, I think people are concerned about the amount of space that that large airports take up. Have you ever? I mean, you know, I mean, this the the one place that this really gets my attention is uh, McCarran in in Las Vegas. It's true of lots of of airports around the country, but for some reason, this is the one I notice when when you're. Usually when you're flying out of McCarran in Las Vegas, if you sit on the right-hand side of the airplane, um, the departure makes a big right-hand 270. And so you can kind of watch the Las Vegas Strip um, underneath you and, and see the airport in the, in the distance, receding in the distance. And it's very, very apparent every time I see this that McCarran Airport is bigger than the Las Vegas Strip. I mean, everything that makes up the Las, Ve- Las Vegas would easily fit in in the area of of McCarran, and that's okay. true. It, big, these big ba- major um, you know um, um, Bravo airports take up a lot of real estate, yeah. and uh, you know. And this is such an old idea. Is it? Yep. Has anybody yep. ever actually done it? Like, has anybody ever actually built a round round circular runway and tried to land on it or or take there off? Was, there was one done out here in western Kansas. Yeah. During World War II. Okay. And, and, uh, and what happened? And it, it wasn't the real estate acreage that prompted the, uh, the idea. It was the convenience of only having to build one runway and not multiple runways for different winds. And the airplanes that they used predominantly for the testing of this were tailwheel airplanes. And the circular runway had issues of its own 
particularly when the airplanes got up in size and weight and how much time they had to spend on the runway started to go out because essentially they always had to start either in a crosswind or in a quartering tailwind to get up to rotation speed at the point where they were finally into the wind. Right. Okay. Timeout. Cre- time created out. problems. Time yeah. Timeout. Jeb. Are we intending to publish this episode on April 1? <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but maybe. Maybe. Um, because this is really starting to sound like an April Fool's thing. <laughs> well, I don't know. It came out in mid-March. It's it's all over the internet. I mean, I see people are sending this to me, and I've seen it, uh, I've seen it on, on the social media sites and on Twitter. And, and uh, you know, I mean, people think this is a thing. I, I mean, and most pilots go, ha-ha, isn't this funny, isn't this silly? But I think some people are like trying to get give it give it some traction and uh, um, and of well, course, they should they they should be shunned they okay yeah. <laughs> they should they should not be allowed to speak on this topic do you, do you think this is merely inefficient or is this dangerous <sighs> I think oh. it's a solution in search of a problem okay all right yeah yeah I have somebody to admit resurrected that, an old idea yeah that and, and, and didn't and work cre- well the first time around yeah and, and creates a bunch of other problems like what well, give, like give one example, cross crosswinds. Yeah, I know. One. That's my question. Is you know, the, the, the flight okay. sim thing that I sent you sort of looks like a no wind day, you know. And I'm thinking, okay, when there's no wind and it's every any point in the circle is the same, that's how do you, fine. How do you do an ILS to this runway? I know, right? There's got to be a point. How, how do you do a Cat three landing to yeah, this? Yeah, well, runway? it's the ultimate circling approach, I guess. Right? Isn't there? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Which have pretty much been banned by the airlines, by uh, the way. Well, yeah, uh, is that true? I didn't know that because they're. Well, I will say they're... I will say banned. But um, when was the last time you saw uh, an Airbus or a Boeing circle the land? Right. But isn't that because? Well, no, that's probably not true. I was going to say, is that because they only had a limited number of nav aids, and so you had one direction to approach the airport? But it also had to do with terrain sometime, didn't it? We've got well, enough nav aids now, and yeah, there's, that's my there's, point. There's, there's there's so few airports involved. Um, even, you know, there's, there's, uh, the airport just south of us, um, Punta Gorda. Yeah. Often, often on is that Airbus, um, uh, traffic and, um, they can, they get in there they've got an ILS and everybody rides the ILS. Everybody rides the, the precision approach or failing that, a, a GPS approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, down the final. That's the way it's done these days. No one's, no one's, no, no airline executive. No, no. Let me put it that way. No airline operations guy is going to react in any way other than hysterical laughter <laughs> <laughs> to the concept of a circular of a runway. circular runway. Huh? Well, geez, well, you know, they're just so stuck in the past. That's their problem. They got to get with the future. You know, it's innovation. It's all about well, well, they, get, you know, there's a there's a bit of of the tail wagging the dog here. Uh, when terminal radar service areas, now class Bravos, were first conceived and started to be implemented, the FAA's idea for this was that they would be able to more reliably isolate airline traffic from the GA traffic on the outside by setting up these airspace sectors, the inverted wedding cake, and having the arrivals, the airliners, come down in the top and then circle 
on their approach all the way down until they were ready to turn final and land on the runway. Uh, that didn't meet with the uh, approval all that much of the airlines or the pilots, which the airline pilots, which got us where we are today, where the airline airliners come through the side of the inverted wedding cake, where they're almost guaranteed to get mixed with GA traffic, which got us the mode C veil after midair. I think it was the San Diego one. Anyway, so we already have this thing where they don't like circular arrivals, and then they realize that they could squeeze more airplanes onto the runway in a shorter period of time if they set everything up to be a long, stabilized approach straight in. And some of these straight ins start from more than 100 miles away from the threshold of the arrival runway. Right. But it doesn't need to be straight in any longer because the computers are going to be flying the airplanes. I'm kind of not half – I'm only half well, joking here. You're, you're uh, right. You're, you're right. And one of, the, one of the tough parts of selling performance-based navigation capabilities is that they are creating these curved approaches at close proximity to other traffic, to obstacles, tall towers or buildings on the basis that the computer in the airplane can do the flying within plus or minus about 300 feet of the center of the approach on a, on a, uh, on a performance-based approach, even, even tighter in some uh, urban areas. And this is you, you got to be equipped for it. The pilot has to be trained for it and approved for it to use PBN. But the efficiency gains are huge, and this is kind of putting the airlines in a quandary because that doesn't support that long straight in. We can space everybody to the maximum that the weight turbulence separation will allow, and get more airplanes on the runway more quickly. Mm-hmm. But it lets them get approaches in conditions that they can't use otherwise without performance-based navigation and all those approvals. So that, that's that been a little slow on the uptake, but the FAA is finally making more progress in establishing PBN-based approaches. And the business aviation community is, you know, they're lapping it up as fast as they can get their airplanes equipped and their crew qualified because that means that they can get in on days when the airlines are having to hold at 15,000 feet because of the greater separation standards required by ILS and uh, LPV approaches in Category 2 and Category 3 conditions. So, you know, which do you want? Safety, efficiency, all the above all the time, not going to happen all the above all the time. Yeah. Jeb, anything um, to add to this? Because I have the plan. solution. I know I, how to I, make this work. I, I only have three, three words to say. What's that? Microwave landing system. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeb, uh, David gets that joke. I'm not sure if I do. Well, what's the, what's, <laughs> David, why is that funny? Because <laughs> PBN is doing with GPS what the MLS system was designed to do 30 years ago. Uh, Okay. But the airborne receivers weren't mature. They weren't cheap. And very few airports put in MLS systems to make it possible. 
National Airport, Washington National Airport, was one of those airports that did it as a demonstration project. And they were able to squeeze Dash 7s in there under conditions when the other two run on the stub runway when the other two runways were being used because the uh, MLS system let them fly curved approaches guided by the flight management system. Mm-hmm. Okay. And all that computer software. Now that doesn't need to be on the ground anymore. It can be in the, in the pedestal. But that's what PBN is doing is what MLS was designed to do back in the early 80s and ate up a lot of money mm-hmm. to no real benefit except for two or three airports. I was, I'm, I'm doing a quick search here. I'm trying to figure out if there are any... Um, Any MLS approaches still? Yeah, there used to be one or two still out there. Um, Work around me while we're talking. But yeah, uh, the MLS was designed in part to allow curved approaches to to precision precision curved approaches to runways. Um, Whether it was the equipment available at the time, whether it was um, uh, something else, the bottom line is... Airlines decided, and the FAA, I think, decided also that you know precision curved approaches weren't that su- weren't that good an idea, at least from a safety standpoint. Mm-hmm. That the stable, and this is one of the key words, stable, straight in, um, constant angle of descent, or constant what was CAMPA constant uh, constant approach angle, non precision approach. Or, or constant descent angle precision approach was preferable from a safety standpoint, mm-hmm. period, okay. uh, in the statement. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, the MLS worked, but it was another solution in search of a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you asked earlier how do you do a, like an ILS to a circular runway, and I think I have the solution, all right? I think I'm going to – so what we need to do is extend this circular runway technology by adding another proven aviation procedure, right, to this whole thing, and that is – maybe like at the fork, uh, scatter around the whole circle of the runway, a series of colored dots. All right. And we'll just, (laughs) and we'll say, you know, Southwest one, two, three, land on the green dot. All right. It works. We know it works. See, that's perfect. Solves the whole problem. All right. I I think not, not until you got a visual on the runway. Well, okay. There's a radio transmitter on the dot. Come on, man. Work with me. Work with me. Welcome (laughs) folks to uncontrolled airspace, the general aviation podcast. More uncontrolled than ever. Yeah. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from high atop lookout point in beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire. Uh, and uh, talking to my uh, two good friends here uh, in our virtual hangar as uh, as we uh, as we tough out the uh, final days of of, uh, of early spring uh, and uh, and get ready for uh, for summer and flying and and all kinds of good stuff. My two good friends here in the virtual hangar. One of them uh, from uh, from uh, winter stricken. I don't know how he survives it uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> is Jeb Burnside? Man, oh man, is what is it? Only like ninety there today. I I don't know. I was outside earlier in a long sleeve shirt because it was chilly this morning. It was foggy actually this morning. Uh huh. Um, and uh, started working outside a little bit with a long sleeve shirt on. Came in midday and changed that out. And have you been um, swimming yet? Have you been in the pool? I've not been in the pool. Okay, well that's the measure. I've I think not. to me that is the 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 dividing line, the tipping point, if you will, of uh, of the summer and winter in. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's about right. I have I have mowed the lawn once. Um, and started to mow it again, 
which is another, you know, sign. Okay. Yeah. When you need, uh, when the grass is growing fast enough that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it's mostly weeds. I wouldn't call it grass. Yeah. Well, no, it's a nice looking lawn. You have a nice looking well, yard. Can't, it can be. And my other good friend here in the virtual hangar, uh, also uh, uh, stricken by winter. No, you've had some nice days too, uh, is uh, coming to us from the uh, air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. That's David Higdon. Hi, David. What's going on? Well, the weather's kind of developed a split personality. It uh-huh. tried to be summer for three or four days in the last week, and now it's trying to decide if it wants to give up winter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but that's okay. It, it it summer eventually comes regardless, and when it does, we'll be here and ready for it. Well, let's see what's going on here. Um, other than circular runways, uh, so this first uh, thing on the on the list, I, I just want to talk about this, and and I want to be quick to say that I'm absolutely not um, uh, casting any aspersions on the pilot or the controller who managed to uh, deal with this emergency. All right, this was a genuine emergency. Apparently, this woman was flying her aircraft uh, somewhere in the vicinity of Atlanta, Georgia. And um, the throttle became stuck at, at a high power or full power or something like that. And she was unable to slow down the engine. And uh, so with the assistance of air traffic control and a very, a very uh, a free clearance into some big airport, perhaps Atlanta. I'm not, I'm not seeing it here in the story. You're not jumping on at me. Um, PD, PDK or Charlie Brown. Okay. But so uh, a long runway, I guess, is the point. Um, Peachtree, oh, Peachtree City, Georgia. Never mind. She was uh, yeah. directed onto this runway um, and then directed to, uh, to and I'm trying to find the wording of this, but basically kill the engine just at touchdown so that she would roll out. Um, and apparently this... She all- landed at Hartsfield. No, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's because wow. they thought... Yeah, well, that's Hartsfield's a big airport, right? That's the that's Atlanta, right? That's the big airport. When was this? And they they, they apparently judged that she needed a long runway, and 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 uh, you know, good for her. Congratulations to her, and 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 big tip of the hat to the controllers who who helped her with this emergency. Um, but here's my thing, all right. Especially if you've got access to a big runway, why do you need to? power down power at the runway and then chop the power at the last minute wouldn't it make more sense to just get over this monster runway and then pull the mixture and stall the you know stall the engine um and just do a dead stick landing which is not that big of an emergency procedure um quite frankly student pilots practice it all the time am i missing something in this story or 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 what what do you guys think let me look at this a little bit more closely. Dave, go ahead. You have any thought on this, David? Well, that's the job. But sometimes the job requires them to, uh, what's the word I want here? Become a little more creative than their than their handbook would let them normally be. And, and if this pulls off a save, and I can't think of a downside to it. Yeah. No, well, right. yeah, I know some airline guys would say, oh, you have any idea how much fuel that costs us? Well, I, oh, no, I, that's I'm not even. But the yeah. fuel is kind of cheaper than the human life. Yeah, so. no, that part of it, I'm fine with. I, I have absolutely zero question challenge about the fact that 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 you know they chose or she chose or someone chose to have her land at a big airport that probably caused a little bit of uh, of uh, re- redirecting. That's not my point. My point is whether or not the procedure of landing with power at full and chopping it at the last second 
was a preferable procedure to getting overhead at you know 1500 feet and chopping the power and doing a dead stick onto the runway which seems to me well, to be that, a little less dramatic and a little less risky quite frankly but it it might be but put yourself in the heat of the moment mm-hmm. in the stress of the situation and the, the fact that it works yeah i mean the other your idea would certainly work too uh coming from the soaring community you know, I had oh, hundreds of dead stick landings before I ever landed something with an engine running. Mm-hmm. And for thereafter, it was a, a a regular routine for me when flying a new airplane was to uh, a new ultralight or uh, experimental light experimental was to get four or five thousand feet upwind of a runway, shut the engine down and fly it back dead stick and usually land it dead stick. Mm-hmm. That that way I learned, you know, what the sink rate was like, what the glide ratio was like. But I always did that deliberately with the wind at my back coming back to the airport and with lots of altitude to give me an opportunity to restart the engine should I misjudge. Uh, landing at full throttle, if that's what it takes and it works for you, you got the runway. Might not be my choice, but not, I wasn't in that circumstance. Yeah, yeah, no, and the and the landings that I've had about a dozen that truly were forced landings because of a power plant problem. Uh, all I cared about was clearing the fence and getting it stopped before the end of wherever I touched down. Uh, anybody was free to critique my technique because they saw it, but. You know what? They weren't there. They weren't in the seat. Yeah. No. That's a PIC decision. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. And uh, Jeb, any thoughts? Have you had a chance to? to I, I agree. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I agree with Dave. I wasn't there, and I would I would simply point out that um, there was a successful outcome, mm-hmm. um, and um, everybody uh, can do this all over again sometime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, other outcomes have not been so fortunate. So uh, everybody did a great job. Um, it's not what I would have done, mm-hmm. but I wasn't there. I'm not this pilot. Uh, I don't know uh, the training she had. Um, I don't know the airplane. All I know is a Cessna. That doesn't tell me a whole lot. Um, so I'm not going to second guess anybody. Mm-hmm. No, I probably would not have um, done it the way it, it came out, but um so what yeah no that's i mean it worked it worked I mean, yeah it worked don't argue with success um, exactly exactly know, i i yeah okay all right well let's leave it at that then i i i, and, I don't and, disagree and, with what you guys it, are saying i just it remember remember hartsfield has boku runway lengths for oh, Cessna. Yeah. so oh, yeah. coming across the fence at wide open power and then shutting the engine down you got lots of room touch down at full power if you want it's a little harder on the brakes and the tires but you still got boku runway yeah. to mm-hmm. slow down and make the taxiway yeah. so from, from, like from jeb that, said yeah from that high above the runway who cares right. yeah. yeah okay all right uh, then all right yeah yeah, I, I would have done it differently, but I wasn't there, and hats off to everybody. There you go. Here's another odd incident that um, has my head scratching, and we've talked, Dave and I kind of traded a couple of emails on this, and I get the feeling that Dave 
disagrees with me or, or, or I'm missing something, which is probably more likely the case. Um, so apparently what happened um, is this is over the Arabian Sea, over in, in, uh, in near, near Saudi Arabia, near Abu Dhabi. And uh, let's see now. So a Challenger 604, which is sort of a biz jet, right? A Challenger 604. It's a large cabin yeah. Okay. This yeah. Is is motoring along apparently at about thirty four thousand feet. I think it says here someplace. Um, when suddenly it apparently encountered the wake turbulence of an Airbus three eighty, which passed a thousand feet higher than it. Um, obviously, along a similar path or not a similar path. The point is the wake. They believe that the wake of the A three eighty. Interfered with the flight of the six Challenger 604 sufficiently that it actually rolled it inverted and caused it to stall and maybe spin. I'm not exactly sure what the circumstance, but it was a dramatic, dramatic uh, result. And uh, the uh, to say the least, the 604 yeah. was able to recover um, and land safely. There apparently was some damage to the uh, 604, um, but uh, but everyone was okay. Um, and and my question about this is. I'm I'm kind of shocked to realize that an that even an Airbus 380, which admittedly is a very big airplane, all right, will cause that much wake turbulence when it's all. I understand when it's climbing. I mean, obviously, never any you know. I mean, any kind of aircraft is going to get tangled up in the wake turbulence if it's at a high angle of attack. If it's like climbing out or even landing, and you obviously avoid those places that you avoid. But if a but if a, even a big airliner like an A380 is trimmed out at cruise way up in the flight levels, is it really going to be creating so much wake that it would invert a medium sized aircraft? I mean, not a little airplane. I think the evidence is self-explanatory. I mean, the insurers have totaled the uh, 604. Yeah. But I don't yeah. – well, I, you know, maybe I should – Which – which, which, let, let's, let's – you, you, Go ahead, Jeff. Which aspect of this report is it you find not credulous? All right. I haven't read it. I read it a couple of days ago when I first put it on the list. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm trying to kind of find the right. But my sense of the article was that you're, they, you're surprised that the wake vortices of uh, an A380 in cruise flight are sufficient to flip over a Challenger 604. Well, it, it, I'm wondering if it really was that. I'm trying to find the, the language here, but it seemed like they were sort of reaching. They say, well, we think it was the 380 that sort of passed overhead uh-huh. um, only a thousand feet higher. All right. And right. so that's, th- that's because, um, well, for a variety of reasons, this is not, you're not dealing with the FAA and the NTSB. Um, this was like a German registered aircraft over the Sea of, of Oman or something like that. And recovered. Um, where did they land, um, Dave? Do you recall? Uh, which land? The three eighty or the uh, six? Yeah, where, where, where did the six hundred four land? Uh, I'm looking for that here. They, they diverted to the nearest to Muscat, Oman. Oman. Yeah, Oman. Yeah, yeah. yeah I see it now. Um, and and what damaged so, the airplane was the G forces yeah, that they yeah. imposed on the airplane pulling out of the right. situation they were in. There's no right. question something happened. So, I'm not challenging that that there was some but, major major. So incident. you you disagree, or I mean, you're challenging that it's the uh, the wake from 380. I'm I'm not going to say I'm challenging it. I'm saying I am shocked <laughs> to hear that a that a trimmed out 380 
at cruise would create that much wake. Well, okay, let's let's explore wake vortices for a moment. What do we know about them? Uh, okay, I mean, we know. That yeah, seriously, they, wait, they exist any time the aircraft is being carried on the wings. Yes, yeah, basically, any time lift is being generated. Yes. Um, they uh, wake vortices exist, and and they trail behind the airplane. They rotate inward towards the uh, the center line of the flight, the aircraft's flight path, and they descend. And um, if they're close to the ground, sometimes they'll they'll migrate, you know, uh, uh, downwind or or uh, in the in the direction of their rotation. Um, the 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 air moving in those vortices moves rather quickly mm-hmm. um, and with some force behind it. Uh, whether that's, you know, uh, it, basically at all points. So we're, we're warned, we're trained to be very aware of wake turbulence um, because um, in flight uh, and, or in, in landing and taking off, Jet transports or, or larger aircraft, larger than what we fly. Let's put it that way. Um, generate the greater, the greatest vortices when they're landing or taking off. That's what we're kind of told. Um, that's true to an extent, but let's think about why we're generating vortices. <clears throat> we're generating these vortices because lift is being generated. Yes. And one of the determinants, one of the determinants, in how how violent or how strong these vortices are is um, how much the aircraft weighs, right? How much, yes, how much the aircraft weighs and, and also so how much, how, what is how the much angle lift, of attack. Well, that's true. But how, how much lift is being generated, essentially, to keep this, uh, this airplane aloft, however much it weighs. So if you've got you know, a 10,000-pound airplane, you've got to generate... Uh, some measure of close to 10,000 pounds of lift to get to, to keep it airborne, somewhat less to descend, um, uh, of course. you got a million-pound airplane, and it's moving through the sky at, let's, let's say, Mach 0.78 or something like that, long-range cruise, which is, Dave, help me out, 400 knots-ish? Uh, that's about 460 knots, 460 0.78. Knots. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's a lot of lift being generated. Yeah, that's a and lot it, of lift being. Generated. I mean, it's part to of back, it. to, to back up, Chib. I just sent you guys a link, and it's not the video I was hoping to find, but it's one of many online that show the FAA's old seven twenty seven with smoke generators on the wingtips, right? Flying trimmed relatively low speed, level flight, and having another <laughs> poor fool <laughs> deliberately fly his aerobatic, usually, airplane into that wake turbulence and while telling the crowd that he did not make that control input that caused that airplane to uncontrollably roll. And they usually did this at five or 600 feet above the, the runway at air shows and fly-ins and stuff. Uh, as Jeb said, if the wings produce and lift, there's wake turbulence. The degree varies with how fast and how heavy, and lower and slower tend to produce the dirtiest. 
And it doesn't have to be even a million-pound airplane for it to be really ugly. This Boeing 757 in particular is known for having really ugly wake turbulence characteristics to the point that the FAA had a separate category or separate standard for separating 57s from uh, or trailing traffic from 757s. So there's never a time in any aircraft that there's not wake turbulence being generated. Now, the 747 doesn't have to worry about, or a, a, a Bombardier 604 Challenger doesn't have to worry about the wake turbulence off a of 172. But you damn well know a 172's got things to worry about if it gets in too close to the wake turbulence of a 604. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I guess the part one, that- one, one thing I, I want to clarify here is um, what we want to make sure we don't confuse. We don't want to confuse the terms. Um, wake vortices with the term wake turbulence. Okay. What's the difference? We can't have wake turbulence unless we fly into it. Okay. Turbulence okay. Is, get, the, is the upset. Is what results from okay. flying into the vortice. All right. Okay. Um, so, basically, and, and there have been other, I won't say other encounters, there have been um, reports uh, I've seen in the past where you get a 7-4, say, uh, above and a couple of miles in front of a 7-3. Um, and uh, I've, I've heard of, um, let's say, upsets or, or uh, some, let's just say, a rough ride from that uh, in cruise. Um, I've flown through a couple of, of vortices Um the most recent one uh, flew through it laterally, uh, landing at Oshkosh one day. Uh, some uh, L thirty nine albatross, L thirty nine, a flight of L thirty nine albatross, albatrosses, albatrossi. I don't yeah. know what the plural okay, is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're landing, uh, making let's see, right traffic. They're landing to the north, making right traffic, so they were coming down uh, over the lake. And uh, I was coming in from uh, Fisk, and I was cleared to land on the right runway. They were cleared to land on the left runway, three six left and right. And basically, our 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 paths crossed. I was perpendicular to the wake of the the last L thirty nine, and got a nice bump out of the whole thing. Uh, probably the 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 hardest bump I've had in a while. Mm-hmm. Um. And that was just an L thirty nine. Yeah, I, I, the part of this it's, it's just kind of, and I believe what you're saying, and I and I'm, I I don't doubt at all that this is a thing. <laughs> I, 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 in my mind, and I was always trained that you really watched out for this stuff. You know, basically in the pattern near the airport environment when aircraft were in in you know very dirty configuration or or at high angle of attack, which is same thing. But um, and. Uh, and that you didn't have to worry about it so much when you were passing beneath an aircraft that was in cruise. Um, but, um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think, it, I think this is a thing. I, I think it's always been a thing. And, uh, what is that? I don't know. Must be David. David, are you making a noise there? Yeah, okay. I need to take this. Sorry. Okay. I'll be right back. Yep. Okay. Anyways, Jeb, it's a, I, yeah. I, I get yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I get it too. I get you. I I understand your inquisitiveness. Yeah, I, it, it's just you know. I mean, do should 
I don't know. I'm not sure if a lot. Maybe I'm just uh, alone in this, but maybe I don't think a lot of people think in terms of a of a of a awake you know wake turbulence awake, awake encounter in, in cruise. Well, let's, in cruise. Let's let's see what the Google tells us. Sorry about that, guys. That's okay. You all set, David? Yep. Okay. Everything's cool. Jeb, you were looking something up. What did you find? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, um. David, he was. He, I, I mentioned that the, the, the most surprising aspect of this was that maybe we have to be worrying about um, wake turbulence in cruise, which is not the, the the environment that I've always thought that you had to be be on your toes. Um, I mean, you know what I mean. You always have to be on your toes, but you know, it's it's mostly in the landing and takeoff phase that I've been trained to be aware of of wake vortices and and that sort of thing. Um, and Jeb's looking up to see whether or not he can find instances yeah, I, of. Uh, um, here was, I'm looking at a, at a uh, pilot's forum real quick. Uh, this is just a real quick and dirty Google here. But looking at a pilot's uh, forum, and uh, this is this goes back uh, to 2012. Uh, here's a report of, of two aircraft. Um, uh, passing again in the opposite direction. Uh, a seven two was the lower one. Um, seven four was the one above, and um, the seven two got shook up. Um, that was again twenty twelve. That was over Canada. Um, it's it's kind of one of those big sky things, you know. It's it's you don't. Uh, um, encounter it that often in in route in the in route environment here's um, a website called skybrary.aero looking at uh, uh, in trail wake turbulence events here's four or five um, one of them admittedly is a is a uh, Piper Cherokee but there's some seven threes and an Airbus 300 uh, 320 uh, involved it listed here's an Airbus 320 encountered sudden significant turbulence at flight level 325, during a temporary loss of control, uh, our origin of the disturbance was found to have been wake vortices from an Airbus A340, 10 nautical miles ahead and 500 feet above on the same airway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, all right. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, trust the source. There's a link, and and there's you know all that kind of thing. I'm sure some other examples can pop up. Okay. Some other, I should all say, right. resources can pop up. But yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. Okay. While before we before we change subject, we were talking about MLS. Oh, okay. And yes. So we're going to change subject before we change subject. Real, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Okay. The most recent, well, five twenty six sixteen. So uh, not quite a year old iteration of uh, the FAA's order uh, on air traffic control. Basically. The, the document telling controllers what to do. Um, the changes, change one from that document uh, has the following reference in it, following text in it. it. says, due to lack of MLS and approach procedures in the National Airspace, in the National Airspace System, this change removes all MLS references. There are no more microwave landing systems. Oh, man, I hate it. It's just the uh, end of an era. Huh? In, in the National Airspace. Period. You know, and just when we could have used them for the circular runways, it was just exactly. I know exactly. I know. You know? Yeah. The more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> Hi, this is Jack. 
We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as $10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. Story from... uh from AvWeb um, recently. Let's see now. Well, March 19th, so it's very recently. Um, emergencies, deciding which ones to practice. And uh, caught my attention. Um, interesting yeah. headline. Um, also, a friend, friend of the podcast, Rick Durden, um, yeah. is, the, uh, is the author of this. And uh, it's quite an extensive story, and I'm not gonna, certainly not going to try and summarize it all. The headline alone is sort of was something I thought be worth talking about for a few minutes here. In terms of what, you know, practicing emergencies... It was almost something that was foreign to me until I started to learn how to fly. Um, I've always felt that that one of the biggest things that I have taken from my flight training and my experience as a pilot is into regular, you know, my real regular life, real life, um, is is that I think now more about in everyday life. I think more about what might go wrong and how I might deal with it. Um, I do this all the time, and I think I make some people crazy sometimes because I'm doing this. And I'm convinced that I take this directly from my flight training. Um, it's just become a thing for me. Um, and, you know, we, we practice emergencies, sometimes more more diligently than others, but uh, you can't practice for every single emergency. Um, and, and this, the headline at least, makes me, you know, asks, which, which are the ones that, that, I don't know, you get the most bang for the buck, or it's wisest to practice, or... You know, I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on this subject? Or, or do we practice the right emergencies? Um, is, I guess, the question that comes to my mind. You know, you know, what do, what do we do? When, when you go out to get a flight review, you know, I mean, it, it, not, not so even a flight review, because that's re- relatively uh, intense or in-depth. But if you just go, like, get a rental check. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. A I'm rental sorry. checkout. Um, you know, they take you up, and, and you'll do some slow flight, and you'll do a, a, a couple of stalls, and you do some steep turns. And none of these are emergencies exactly. They're all just kind of approach to emergencies. They're, they're just sort of getting, you know, just, just making sure, you know, that you, that you know how to avoid emergencies, I guess. What other things, you know, and, and, and you try, you know, you, you'll do a simulated engine failure um, is a very common one. Um, what are the other common emergencies that we commonly practice in flight? Well, um, there are all kinds of emergencies um, that, let me put it another way, there are all kinds of events that we can treat as emergencies uh, that may be, in fact, emergencies, but... Um, are not something that we've perhaps practiced um, uh, in our training. Um, for example, um, let's say the engine is running, but it's spreading oil all over the windshield. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what do you do? You, do you, did you train for that? Um, um, hopefully you train for uh, an open door. Mm-hmm. Or an open, or, or an open, you know, storm window. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Long-time <laughs> listeners will get that joke. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm never freaking living that one down. We'll explain in the forums. Check it out. It's, it's not. I, I, I have to confess, I, I did uh, inadvertently and startlingly wake Jeb up from a short nap. But <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Um, yeah, so, so we, uh, these are these are you know sort of quote unquote emergencies that that are worth thinking about in advance, if not practicing. Jeb, is that what you're you're getting at here? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I guess what I'm thinking, and I haven't read the article. Rick's a uh, a good writer. He's he's always got an interesting take on things. Uh, this is the kind of article that I would I would consider running in in safety, for example. Um, but all of that having been said. Um, there's a lot of stuff that can happen, uh, and, and Rick goes into some stuff that uh, it might be uh, um, uh, something we've not thought about. You know, for example, um, you could have a medical emergency of some kind. There's, there's, uh, they don't have to be mechanical emergencies. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that. Way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. David, do you think we practice the right in-flight emergencies? Oh, well, there's a number of in-flight emergencies that I tried to practice with some regularity, uh, engine failure being one of them, without completely shutting down the Comanche or the Cherokee's engine, but getting myself positioned a little bit away from the airport, upwind again, and pulling the power back to idle, and making sure that I could fly the airplane to uh, the arrival end of the runway. Uh, electrical system failure was one that I practiced with some regularity uh, because an electrical system failure had the potential to morph into a landing gear emergency Mm -hmm. where you need the electric motor to lower the gear or you have to use the uh, manual gear extension. And I did that pretty much every year, moving the airplane from Augusta to dead cow for annual. I would unlatch the emergency extension, uh, the, the worm gear, uh, the jack screw, if you would, mm-hmm. uh, that drive the gear up and down, unlatch it, lower the gear with the manual extension, make sure it was locked good, and then very, very gently touch down at the dead cow runway because we had to swing the gear anyway. So Earl having to put it back in uh, and recalibrate everything wasn't that, that much oh, extra work, and it gave me a chance to practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a technique that I learned from our good buddy James Winbrandt uh, that he developed in the years where he flew a Mooney with manual gear extension uh, with the Johnson bar. Uh, Fuel starvation uh, was in that part of the uh, dead stick practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, The uh, other things that Excuse me. The, some of the things that Rick pointed out that are consistently good at hurting or killing pilots don't actually come into the uh, heading of emergencies until five seconds before the accident. Uh-huh. Control flight into terrain for one. Uh, you know, that's not an emergency. That's a mistake. Right. Of an error of some kind, whether you misread the sectional on, or misset the altimeter, uh, that's not an emergency you practice for. That's a mistake you learn to try to avoid. 
um, in-flight fire. Yeah, you uh, mentioned this as another item on the list. It's uh, yeah, you, you characterized always, it as being perhaps the most frightening um, uh, scenario to imagine in flight. From my from my seat, it is the most frightening scenario because I, I agree. I agree. You got fire somewhere, and hopefully in front of the firewall, which is as the name describes the only barrier between the engine and the flames that uh, are being fed by gas or oil uh, and then the cockpit, the cabin, is that firewall. And, you know, as much trouble as manufacturers went to make firewalls uh, out of a stainless steel alloy that holds up really well to fire, they didn't always give the same treatment to the penetrations of things like cables and wiring and air ducts through the firewall. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the tricks is you got a fire, you shut off the fuel, you shut off the ignition, you grab the fire extinguisher and be prepared to start shooting the back of the firewall, which meant fishing the fire extinguisher out, pull on the pin and be ready to pull the trigger and stop at that point mm-hmm. and, and get yourself the airplane out figuring out how difficult that was to do, particularly in case you had to let go of the airplane completely to do it if you didn't have an autopilot. So that that was always one that uh, I would mentally think through, and then I would pull the power back to idle, trim the airplane, fish around under the passenger seat or the pilot seat, wherever the fire extinguisher was that particular year, pull it out, unpin it, and make sure that I could get under there to squirt the back of the firewall mm-hmm. with fire retardant. I mean, that's a great emergency practice right there. You're right. That's, you know, I mean, I wonder, even if you know, and, and hopefully you do know where the fire extinguisher is, have you actually practiced getting it out unlatched and, you know, with one hand probably? Um, and that, yeah, that's, I, I, I moved that fire extinguisher mount three different times before I found a mounting angle position uh, with A, within reach, and B, that I could do blindly with one hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because my first two attempts didn't work out and I didn't really test those changes until just before annual the next year. So I kind of sailed along, you know, oblivious to the fact that I couldn't have done it very quickly if something had happened in there. Uh, The other emergency was water landings. Mm -hmm. And that for me was one of the primary benefits of eating the expense and complexity and weight of having a retractable gear airplane because you're so much more likely to keep the aircraft upright when you touch down on the water if the gear are tucked away than you are if the gear are down permanently. Right. That's a real that's a real crapshoot. And the, the experts that I've talked to said their approach is to drag the tail through the water until there's just not enough speed to uh, uh, get support from the wings, to get wing lift. And to always have the door or doors unlatched with something jammed in there to make sure that they didn't slam shut on impact. Mm-hmm. Because once the mains hit, very likely that it's going to go tail over nose and you're going to be in the water Upside inverted. Yeah. 
and something that in covering safety stand down several years, uh, any time there was an opportunity to get in the swimming pool and in the dunking cage to escape from a cockpit yeah. area blindly, that's you know with with your eyesight completely blocked. Uh, and they did a pretty nice job of disorienting you before they dunked you. Mm-hmm. So you weren't always sure which way you were pointed, and right. but and they taught you about how to uh, to blow a little bit of air bubbles out of your mouth and figure out which way the bubbles were going because that's always up. Yeah, yeah. That's always I, you've up. told that story before, and I, I've always admired that you you went through that training. Um, and I, you know, man, the first couple of times they did that, and I did it. Uh, two different days the first time I did it. Uh-huh. And and I'll tell you, the, the first times were scary. Ah, uh, yeah. Because they got really violent before they tipped me over. And finding the door latch and getting unbelted and then figuring out which way the bubbles were going the first couple of times had the safety diver right there ready to pull me out because I was down there longer than I should have been and I would have been sinking in a real airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But once you, if you'll pardon the phrase, once you break that cherry and then do it again a couple of times, then you get comfortable with the fact that you just did it. You can do it. You know how to do it. It doesn't keep it from being stressful. But knowing that you survived that simulation and know how to survive it in real life is kind of comforting, like flying from Key West to Grand Cayman Island. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. It's something really yeah. to be keeping in mind. So, Jeb, any last thoughts on this? We can, we, we're, we're sort of reaching the end of our allotted time here, but uh, on the whole emergencies thing, Jeb? No, none at all. Uh, uh, both Rick and Dave uh, treated the subject very well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to this uh, AvWeb story. It's a very, very interesting story and, and quite uh, um, in detail. So, uh, check it out. Check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Anything you desperately don't want to uh, skip? We'll, anything important we can push till next time, but uh, um, we need to move We've got to talk about dog. Oh, yeah, we'll go to the shout-outs for sure. That, that should be like, you know, uh, a group shout-out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, all right. Just, right. Just, just one real quick thing. Yeah, what? It, and I'll dip in and out of it as Oh, yeah, we as got, well, yeah, we've got to talk about... Um, about... ATC privatization. Oh, oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed that. Talk he said about. we we got to talk about uh, ATC privatization. <laughs> I just think we really don't. I just think we really don't. But uh, uh, Jeb, were you joking or are you serious? I'm well now. I'm questioning my sanity, but I was serious. Uh, you know, yeah. I, it, san- insanity is definitely the the you know one of the things at play here. Um, but uh, um, and I'm talking about yours, not anybody else's, but uh, in, in addition to anybody else's. Um, Why do you say it like that? I talk, don't talk. Talk to me. How do you really feel? I think I think so. ATC, ATC privatization has definitely reared its ugly head in the last week or so. All right. Um, and. And if we could talk a little bit about what would be why it's a good or a bad idea, that would be an interesting conversation. I personally don't think 
Well, I was going to say something that I actually don't know. I, I, what I was about to say was that I don't think that it's any more likely to happen now than it's been for the past five years, ten years, which is probably not totally true. It is slightly more likely now. Um, but, I, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. We can t- let's, is ATC privatization a good idea? Should it go private? No. No. Of course not. I think, I think we're agreed on that. Um, I don't know what there is to talk about here other than the 800-pound <laughs> elephant that we don't want to talk about. Here's the deal. Yeah. And this is my Friday business aviation blog, Nile Buyer, uh, oh, this week. Okay. All right. All right. Go ahead. Here's the deal. And I'll see if I can find the link. Uh, but it was a great commentary in Aviation Week uh, that ran on uh, Monday, I believe it was, from a former airline executive who dove into the claims made by proponents of this asinine idea that somehow or another it would benefit all of us if we just put control of an essential government function, just like controlling highway speeds and traffic patterns is an essential government function, usually done by cities and states. In our case, in aviation, it's a national system. They have, these proponents have never, not once in all these years, put forth any numbers any data to support their blanket claim that it would be more efficient and less costly and we could update the system faster if it was just in private hands. And then they point off to systems that in other countries that are not remotely comparable to what we have here in terms of diversity of traffic, density of traffic, the number of airports, the number of flights, none of that. They've never come up with any data, any claims. Of, just take our word for it. I'm sorry. Bite me. Hmm. This, this is what the Avweek editorial was saying? Yeah. And I will find that link uh, here very quickly. The uh, writer's name was Paul Mann. Mm-hmm. And the, I'm sorry, Robert Mann, Robert Mann Jr. And his contention, the headlines threw me, airlines can fix ATC problems. And I opened it up fully expecting to hear another one of these or read another one of these screeds about how it works so much better in other places where (laughs) people spend so much money on touch and goes that they come to the United States to get their bloody pilot's licenses. Uh, Or how great it is in Canada where below a certain weight, they don't charge uh, the same as the airlines and corporate traffic where, by the way, costs are going up for those folks. Europe, England, when you're talking about a charge for every touch and go, every instrument approach, uh, Oh, yeah, that's just what we need. And, of course, the proponents of this always want this advisory board or board of directors to uh, be dominated by airline executives and airline pilot union people. Uh, They've tried divide and conquer. Oh, we won't charge GA. They can just continue to pay a fuel tax. Well, how long are we guaranteed that? They never say whether we're guaranteed that forever. Just say, trust us. 
Trust us, <laughs> we can we can we can develop an updated system faster than the federal government. Yet most of these carriers haven't equipped to use the upgrades that NextGen has already provided. Part of that's not their fault. Part of it is their fault. This is also true. So the the contention has always rang hollow in my mind because if this was a business proposition meant for investors, there would be data to support the contentions, and we've not seen that. And what changed this week? President Trump released his quote-unquote skinny budget with his wish list for increasing Pentagon spending and axing almost everything else to pay for the Pentagon spending. And one of the things that he endorsed was this cockamamie idea of handing off air traffic control management to this pseudo-quasi-independent, non-corporate, not-for-profit, blah, blah, blah. There's only one problem with this, Siri. Having worked for a nonprofit in my life, I came to realize that that's a misnomer. It's actually a category. It's a not-for-profit for tax purposes, but that doesn't mean that they don't have to make a profit to continue to support their operations and have their operations grow, which would be the situation here. The other thing was that this handoff would be basically handing a private group a multi-billion dollar system for which the taxpayers have already paid with the taxpayers getting nothing in return for it. And these same folks want to do the same thing with bridges and highways and roads in this country. They want to let private investment do it. The private investment people would get their money back through tax credits. And then they'd be able to decide how much to charge the rest of us even though we'd still be paying gas taxes to keep those uh, infrastructure improvements paid for in the future. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not fond of the idea of paying twice for something when once is sufficient. And I'll get off the soapbox and let somebody else talk. Oh, allow, me to, allow me to associate myself fully with the gentleman's remark. Yes. I, I don't, I agree too. I absolutely. All right. It, it's a, it's a, it's a bad idea, all right? And, and for years now, reasonable people on both sides of the aisle have basically agreed that it's a crazy, it's a bad idea, and it's been put back in its place every time it kind of rises up, all right? And, and the only reason that, we're, we're, that it's come up again is not because any of the reasonable people have really changed their mind. It's because it's the latest harebrained idea that's come out of the White House. All right. And I just don't want to be that kind of reactor. And, and it's not even a new harebrained idea. I know, but that's the point. It's, it's, you know, I, it's, I, I don't. Well, it's been a long time since we had such a blanket endorsement of the idea from the, from the White House. From the White House, yeah. yeah but this, the, the, yeah. I mean, that's true. I agree. That's absolutely true. But, but this is not like you know some rational White House is suddenly promoting an idea that you know is going to get more traction because the White House is is promoting it. All right. This is it's it's this is all part of the insanity, and I don't see that it's any more. Well, well, there there are some members of Congress for whom the White House endorsement will give them cover to. Uh, support this where they might not have before. That's one thing to consider. Uh, but 
I don't think that this is going to go anywhere again this year, but it's not without the effort on the part of pilots and aircraft owners and aircraft operators like from the business community. Uh, because the biggest hurdle for getting this forward is in the Senate. And they're no more wired into this than uh, than they were in the past. The senators are really hesitant to give up control over anything. Mm. And this is something over which they have long-time control. So uh, I expected in the long run that this will not progress this budget. Primarily because... We're looking at a September 30 deadline for the continued authorization and funding uh, of the Federal Aviation Administration and trying to redesign ownership and operation of the air traffic control system while trying to get through a multi-year budget uh, is not likely to happen between now and, and, and September 30. And that's a saving grace for us. But I don't they're disagree. They're not going to stop pushing. Yeah, they're they're not going to stop pushing. A, B. Uh, I don't disagree with anything you just said. C, um, like so much uh, in that, um, what do they call it, miniature budget or draft budget or uh, whatever it was, um, things just aren't going to fly. But anytime any White House puts something like this on paper. With the and endorses it by virtue of suggesting that it should become law, um, at least financially. Um, I think we have to to take notice. Um, secondly, um, it remains a very bad idea for all the reasons that we that we've discussed. Um, but this we are we are looking at a year where there's going to be an FAA bill uh, or at least some some legislation either extending the FAA's authorization or or uh, um, doing, you know, uh, some, making some major policy changes. Um, the danger is that this does not, that this goes unopposed. This is a basic trial balloon. Um, and the idea, one of the ideas being to see who pushes back and to see what the opposition is like to such an idea. And uh, as we might see uh, in, in, a, in a few days, uh, relative to some other legislation that is con- very controversial, um, pushback may work um, um, better than it has in the past, let's say. Uh, or it, if not, certainly pushback is necessary because if we don't push back, then those who threw this jello against the wall to see if it'll stick will find that maybe it will stick and maybe they'll they'll try to push forward and, and do this. Um, it doesn't mean uh, whether there's some strategy here, whether this is a trial balloon or not, we have to, those who would oppose uh, a privatized ATC system, need to push back. Uh, uh, if for no other reason than just to flex our muscles. But more importantly, we need to show that there is opposition to such a proposal. Uh, that is a dumb idea try to drive you know a stake through its heart uh, knowing that we're probably not going to win 
with the driving it, the stake through its heart, but we can certainly keep it from being seriously discussed one more time. It's going to keep coming back, and every time it comes back, we have to keep batting it down. Uh, and this is one of those times. Okay. Okay. Shoutouts? <laughs> <laughs> Shoutouts. 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 Uh, to uh, um, Mr. Mann, the author of that editorial in Av Week. Okay. Thank you. Uh, all right. Yes. There we go. Um, the big shout out here, as a rule, we, this is a time of year when I have a tendency to focus um, the, the list uh, on all things sun and fun. And, uh, and I usually push off uh, Oshkosh stories until uh, after mid-April. Um, but this one is notable enough that I really, really wanted to, to call attention to it. And that is that our dream is coming true, or at least it's scheduled to come true. And I think this is really cool. We've been 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 uh, tracking for some time now the uh, renovate re- the restoration of of a uh, of a legendary airplane, if only because it's one of the last ones in existence. And that is the uh, B twenty nine dock, um, and. Uh, and we've been hoping that it would uh, eventually reach the state where it could visit Oshkosh. And they've just published um, a, a short schedule of public appearances for Doc this summer. Um, one of the four being at Oshkosh this summer. And I think that's really cool. Um, what do you guys think yeah. about this? Yeah, I think, that's, I think it's very cool. Also, I'm looking for the formation flight. Yes, I am. And I went and I looked at it. Right. And I, and I wanted to make sure. And so I dug out the uh, website that shows uh, Fifi's schedule this summer. And Fifi is scheduled to be at Oshkosh as well. And right. so at the very least, we'll get the two of them side by side on the ramp. And at I, the very least, we'll get them side by side. I dearly it. hope that we're going to get them doing a formation flyby of some sort i think that would be really really cool um doc it is would beautiful surprise airplane. me if that didn't happen yeah i think it's an it's a it's a pretty obvious thing and you know they're just all other details about making it happen but uh, um doc is a stunningly beautiful airplane um they've polished up all the uh, the aluminum i mean it's just beautiful the pictures i've seen of it um in flight is it's just just uh, mind-boggling how beautiful it is um wh- what an incredible amount of work goes into just keeping the foolish thing polished holy moly um 16 years worth yeah but you know i mean that's like that's one of these jobs that's never done you know i mean you polish up the airplane the aluminum so that it's beautiful like that and then it's immediately getting bad again and so you're it's as i understand it it's a never-ending job um and uh so. That's what my friends in the Sonex community tell me, the ones that have uh, polished their Sonex or YX or Xenos or 1X to a high, to a high sheen. Yeah. Is that it, uh, it never really ends, which yeah, is why I'm going to paint mine. Right. But that's the way those airplanes were delivered. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the reasons why they continue to do that. The... Uh, original alloys weren't expected to last but a few years uh, because these combat aircraft weren't expected to last, you know, 70 right. years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the effort that it just takes. I know people who don't want to put in the effort to keep their spinner polished, you know, so uh, you're going to keep an entire B-29 shiny is just a... Is a, is a is not that there's anything wrong with not keeping your spinner polished. <laughs> I wasn't right. naming. I wasn't pointing <laughs> any fingers. anything wrong with that. I was not pointing any fingers. Uh, it's a common but, but, thing. It's a common... Keep, in, in keeping um, polished airplanes looking good, I think that... Isn't that why God invented teenagers? 
Could be, yes. Yeah, teenagers and, <laughs> and, and other, yeah, right, uh, 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 hourly, well, not hourly, right? You know, people who are compensated. Interns. Interns, right, yeah. Now you can't do this. There's some good reasons for keeping them polished and not painting them. And on an aircraft the size of a B-29, weight is a big part of it. That's what I I read. In the early days, that's why they were all uh, shiny like that, was that the weight of the paint was significant. um, And uh, that's why they didn't paint them. I heard that anyways. I don't know if it's true. But, uh, yeah. It's still when you look at all those pretty fighter planes on the on the warbirds flight line at sun and fun and oshkosh and you see a lot of them polished to a high sheen most of them didn't fly combat that way mm-hmm. they had flat colors that helped cut down on reflection because nothing points out a group of airplanes to the enemy better than the sun reflecting off all shiny aluminum of mm-hmm. the bu- you know, a squadron of fighters screaming across the sky. Uh, B-17s painted, B-24s, B-25s painted. Uh, so as pretty as they are to see on the flight line, they didn't fly combat that way, except right. the B-29. Yeah, you, you look at some of the photos, <clears throat> color or black and white, from, from that era, uh, line line aircraft being flown uh, on combat. <clears throat> Those are some dirty airplanes. Those are some some rough looking airplanes. Um, they're they're not spit and polished. Um, but then again, I don't own a P fifty one or a P thirty eight. So if I owned one, I would damn well do whatever I wanted to with it. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, we're looking forward to seeing Doc uh, visiting Oshkosh this summer, um, and uh, especially to see Doc uh, in some some combination with Fifi. That'll be really really awesome historical moment. And uh, and having said that, we're now going to go back to our uh, normally scheduled uh, talking about Sun and Fun. <laughs> sun and Fun's coming up. Um, as we record this, uh, Sun and Fun uh, begins a, a week from, well, a week and a half from now, I guess, is when it begins. Um, and uh, and uh, Uncontrolled Airspace will be at Sun and Fun again. This will be, I think this is our 11th consecutive uh, spring uh, at uh, at Spring Break for Pilots, uh, Sun and Fun, down in, down in Lakeland. Uh, we will be doing two full-length episodes, uh, as we have been for many years now, one on Tuesday afternoon, right after the Daily Air Show, uh, and then another one on uh, Sunday morning, on the final day. Um, the uh, precise times are not set just yet. Uh, we'll, we'll keep your keep an eye on social media and uh, our website and uh, the forums and whatnot for precise times. I, I have been warned that the uh, that the Tuesday uh, episode um, after the air show, which we usually think in terms of the air show ending around six, and I'm told that the air show is scheduled to end a little bit earlier on Tuesday this year at five thirty. Five thirty, yeah. So um, um, anybody who's planning ahead, um, make a note of that. It could be earlier than you would expect. Um, if you want to stop by and uh, and visit with us while we're doing the episode, that would be awesome. If you can't be on the grounds, uh, it is streamed live uh, through, I believe the URL is liveatc.net slash SNF. Um, but you'll find it find it through live, AD, live ATC. And, and broadcast on their AM radio And on station. the AM radio if you're if you're on the grounds but not near the radio station. So that's, Don't they also uh, broadcast it on their own feed, uh, Sun and Fun Radio's feed on the internet? 
Um, I believe they do that through live ATC. I'm not yep. sure if they okay. have their own. Okay. Um, All right. That's the that's done something that uncontrolled airspace sponsors. Yeah, we help out with some of the internet connectivity there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's the two big live episodes, two big full episodes. We'll also be doing a series of uh, UCAP dailies, uh, probably every day. Um, at least one of us will be there. Every- wow. Why don't we call them dailies then? Every day throughout the uh, <laughs> because okay, smart Alec. Um, and we'll be doing those, and those will go up into the feed uh, throughout the uh, throughout the week uh, those are shorter uh, 10 15 20 minute episodes uh, about things that are and they tend to be more about the kind of atmosphere and the the sense of what it's like to be at the show um they're a lot of fun and uh, and they have a little bit different feel dailies throughout the whole week and uh, we'll be hanging out at the radio station there won't be a meetup i don't think we don't have plans right now for a meetup but we do hang out at the radio station and if you if you're there stop by and say hi um and and it's it's unusual when there isn't at least one of us hanging out at the radio station and certainly in the morning or in the late afternoon um so uh so stop by and say hi that's uh, uncontrolled airspace at uh, at the uh, 2017 sun and fun flying does somebody was gonna say so that? does running face first into a cheeseburger count as a meetup uh, yeah that's the best kind that's the best kind what else other shout outs you guys got anything no nope no? Okay. No. Nope. Nope. Well, fork then, time. Well, then, then it's fork time. Uh, thank you, guys. It's always a blast to uh, get together and talk with you. Dave Higdon is a uh, aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Anything fun? Uh, actually, not really. (laughs) (laughs) The most fun thing I've done in the last two or three weeks was finishing the second and final flap for the YX. Yeah. Everything else has just been crunching to, uh, clear the deck so I can get out of here next week for Lakeland. Well, first for, uh, Burnside's wayward home for aviators, or I'm sorry, home for wayward aviators. Yeah, the uh, yeah, there's it's going to be going going into our, 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 our Sarasota County is going into red alert because all three of us are going to be in the same place at the yeah, same right. time. And, uh, but uh, if you give me five seconds, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Oh, it was just here a second ago. Up coming up in uh, Avionics News is an article I'm working on about. Enhanced vision systems and synthetic vision systems and the growth of what's available and how many different ways you can get it. Cool. Very cool. Where can people find out uh, about these things and you in general on the Internet? Uh, Well, I never got above E4, so general is far above my rank. But in in reality, uh, let's see. AEA.net for, for avionics news, uh, avbuyer.com for my features for that magazine and my weekly uh, aviation blog uh, through their website. Oh, I'm real Higdon on the Twitter machine, as Jeb would put it. And otherwise, just do a Google search for Dave Higdon and aviation, because if you don't throw in aviation, then it's apt to take you to a golf writer or a theoretical physicist, both of whom are probably smarter than me. I don't even think that could possibly be true. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, first of all, let me tell you that a group of albatross is a rookery. I, I know this has been bothering you. And Okay, uh, well, I, I, ATC told me that it was a flight of albatross. Yeah, it's a rookery of albatross. A rookery. A rookery so of albatross. Next time... 
ATC tells me that there's a flood of albatrosses, uh, I'm going to correct them. Yeah, tell them and that I, the, the internet told rookery. you this, and the internet is never yes. wrong. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what right. are you been working on, Jeb? I'm sorry. Um, I have been working on uh, a lot of things. Uh, just got back uh, last week from New Orleans. Spent a few days there for the uh, AEA's annual meeting and convention. Their 60th, by the way. They are 60 years old uh, this year. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. A uh, good time was had by all. Some interesting products, some interesting conversation, a lot of great networking. Um, uh, another another victory for uh, for AEA and, and their staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, hats off to them. Uh, thanks them again for the opportunity to work with them. Uh, look for a couple of stories uh, on that topic coming out in uh, Avionics News in a couple of months. Well, uh, Did, were you able to get by the Acme Oyster Bar? I was not able to get by the Acme Jones. Oyster Bar. Yeah. Um, everywhere I went was just mobbed. All the all the eating establishments, um, it was it was like uh, the, the people were going to lock the doors and not allow, let anybody in anymore. Oh, oh wow. it was amazing! Yeah, everywhere I went, that's uh, pronounced. Downtown, there's a word for that. There's a word for that. It's pronounced New Orleans. All right, that's right. That's uh, right. It's like that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I had no, I had uh, been. Yeah, I hadn't been there in a while, and I was kind of surprised at uh, how busy and how. Um, uh, filled the city was yeah. so uh, it was yeah. very very good dynamic. Um, I'd like to have a chat with whoever it is, probably the levy board, who uh, licenses cab drivers. I wanted to ask you about this. Yeah, why? It, it, why? What it, happened with the cab city. driver? Uh, well, I I get um, get pa- checked out of the hotel. This is not an insubstantial hotel, and uh, I walk downstairs, and the and the the uh, hotel guy, whoever, uh, traffic cop, whatever. Uh, gets a cab for me, and I throw my stuff in the cab, and I tell the guy, Lakefront Airport, the the hotel guy tells the uh, driver, Lakefront Airport, I tell the driver, Lakefront Airport, and the guy starts making a beeline for Armstrong. Which is the big <laughs> the big airline airport, yeah. Yeah, well... So did he not um, even know it existed? He didn't know there was a Lakefront Airport. Ah, uh, well. Uh, and, and, and I had to pull out my phone and... and uh, uh, give him uh, step turn by turn uh, directions to get to my airplane. Did this have an impact on the tip? It did. <laughs> okay, it seems only fair to me. It seems it seems only fair to me. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, All right. So there there was that, but uh, that what was are... the only that was really the only low spot in a you know in a pretty good trip. I'm jealous. New Orleans is a great place. Yeah. Where can people find out about your New Orleans stuff and all the things that you do on the internet? Well, uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place to start. That's, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the day gig, if you will. Um, and uh, AEA.net for both mine and for, for Dave's articles. I've, in addition to uh, coverage of their convention, I've got some other articles coming out in the near future. Um, so there's that. Um, GeneralAviationNews.com. Um it might even find something I wrote up on avweb.com these days. Who knows? Um, the Twitter machine, it's Burnside Jack. Very, very cool. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, you can, uh, let's see, what am I working on? Um, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm, I, I, now that I'm back here at Lookout Point, I'm putting a lot of energy into uh, taking my uh, Staying warm? 
What's he? Yeah, right? It's beautiful here. It's like 90 degrees. I went swimming today. It's got, it's gorgeous. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I am taking my, uh, my shop out of, uh, out of hibernation, out of, out of its winter condition so that I can start working on some of my, uh, my, uh, motorcycle and, and automotive product projects. Um, some of which we did while I was down there in Florida. That was cool. But, uh, now I need to continue with that work. And, uh, so I got to get everything, get, you know, unburied from the snow and unpacked and, and ready to be used. So I'm doing a lot of that. I am continuing to, uh, work on videos. Uh, I have another video that got posted uh, since the last episode, which uh, this was kind of cool. Um, th- this was yet another. Um, I-, I took advantage of being down there with Jeb and took all kinds of pictures of Jeb's cool toys, and one of them, of course, is the Champ. And I wanted to, I wanted to practice again. One, a lot of the videos I'm doing right now are all about practice. They're all about kind of going to school and learning how to create these videos. And one kind of sequence that you see all the time in videos is is what I call the beauty shot. All right, it's a it's you know a sequence of shots of some device or or vehicle or aircraft or whatever and a narrator's talking about it and describing it and whatnot and so i wanted to do a, a little beauty shot of the champ and so that's the one that's up there right now i call it a portrait of uh, jeb's champ and uh, it's getting some some nice some nice uh, uh comments online and uh, the least some, attractive airplane i have I, it looked very nice and uh okay. right. you know and we can do the same thing to the debonair if you want when i'm back down there but uh okay. yeah. um, no i'm just just the beauty airplane and, and that airplane right now anyway it's not all no, that beautiful no it's a very nice looking airplane it's a very very sexy okay. looking airplane all right uh mm-hmm. you can are you find... sure we're talking about the same on, right. on, we're on talking YouTube. about the silver champ right yeah on youtube you can find me at youtube.com slash jack hodgson uh, on twitter i'm also twitter.com slash jack hodgson uh, you can sign up for my email newsletter and learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know that's at jack Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Thanks to all the people who helped us with the UCAP disclaimer clips, not the least of which Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, Jim Goldman, and many other folks. Uh, please support the uh, UCAP by making a repeating per episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. Get all the details about this at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. And while you're at it, go into iTunes and give us a review, check off some uh, stars, give us some thumbs up. Uh, that stuff really helps get the word out about the podcast. You can follow the podcast podcast itself on twitter at twitter.com slash class g airspace that's all one word class the letter g and then airspace so you never know what might turn up in there uh, you can also listen to ucap in the free section of sporty's pilot shops mobile app takeoff along with other podcasts and special sporty's content Get your UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP Swag Shop. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. 11 years, almost 11 years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads all there. Last but not least, chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. Um, All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? The key to old age, long life, happiness... It all involved in airtime because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Okay. <laughs> Rookery. <laughs> Rookery. Yeah. Rookery. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. 
you should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.